0: I heard a story of a teacher who asked her school uh, for show-and-tell to bring something that represents their faith. And so one person came. He said, my name is Benjamin, and I'm Jewish. And uh, he brought the Star of David, and he explained that to the class. A second student stood up, and she said, my name is Mary, and I'm Catholic. And she brought a rosary. Uh, The third student came and said, my name is Tommy. I'm Baptist, and this is a casserole. So... We have these different things that represent who we are and that's kind of the question that we're asking is like what represents who we are you know if one of our kids were to come to their school and they brought something to represent their church what would they bring and one of the things that we want to define who we are as a church is that we would hope that what people would bring would be perhaps just a bible Um, maybe even more so than the cross because the bible is the one that tells us the significance of the cross The Bible is what tells us what Jesus did for us and why he had to do it and why it matters. That we want to be a church, that the Bible is our definition even more so than the cross. That that is where we find our truth. In fact, um, if you remember the early days of Rock Harbor when we were in Gemini Elementary School, um, there was no cross in the, the school, of course, and we didn't bring one. People asked me, are we going to bring one? What we did each week was we actually had set up on the left side A little table, and we had the bread and the cup because that's the symbol that Jesus had given us to have in remembrance of Him. And so that's kind of who we want to be as a church that we're focused on Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And then we know the significance of the cross and what it means. Uh, The Bible tells us that we belong. And that's really the message that we want to have today is what it means to belong. What does it mean to belong to a church? What does it mean to belong to the body of Christ? What does it mean to belong to Jesus? as it says in Galatians, that we are heirs of Christ, that we are as Christ's firstborn, that we receive Christ's inheritance. What does it mean to declare that we're part of God's family? uh, Psalm 68, which we did a message on over the summer, declares that God sets the solitary or God sets the lonely, that God sets them in families. And that family reference in Psalm 28 was understanding a greater reference than just those in a home. It was making reference to um, the nation of Israel or God's chosen people. And so today we look at that and say, that's what we want the church to be as a place of belonging. As today, we really are going to be talking this afternoon on youth ministry. One of the things I loved about being a youth pastor for over 15 years, I think, was the idea of belonging. And I even saw it this weekend at a birthday party that had some kids from the church at this idea that, that kids that maybe haven't felt like they've connected in their school, they haven't felt like they've known where to be at the lunch table, but they know they can come to church and they can be at a youth group. And one of the primary purposes has always been for me that kids always feel like they belong. Uh, One funny way that we figured out to make this work was um, we stopped having kids just cheer for like the competitions when kids get called up and we would always break the youth group typically like in a three quadrants and we would call a person up from each area and then we would have that section cheering for that person because they knew if their person win that I had a huge bucket of candy that I was going to throw a handful their way. And uh, and the reason why is because we could pick a kid that maybe didn't know a lot of people even at youth group, and he didn't have many friends outside of youth group. But on sunny mornings, we would like, uh, or sunny evenings, we would make the room black. We would play to the Chicago Bulls intro theme, have a spotlight over the crowd, and, and I would get on the microphone and I would call up, you know, you know, Brad, come on down. You are the contestant for tonight's game. And he would come running down and everybody would cheer for him. And then all of a sudden, like these 25 kids were yelling his name and cheering for him. A kid who maybe never was going to shoot a basket. A kid that was never going to pass or catch a football. A kid that was never going to score a goal. And he had people just screaming his name and cheering for him. Because that's part of what we get to be as a church. Is that we get a chance to cheer for people. We get a chance to say, hey, we're a part of you and we're on your team. And we get to do this thing called life together. And so that's one of the reasons why we love doing church. And even though today um, uh, I might not technically be a youth pastor anymore, our, our vision for how we do ministry hasn't really changed. That we want to be a place that we enjoy coming to church. We want to be a place where you feel welcomed and loved and accepted. And we want to be a place that we cheer each other on towards what God is doing for us. But what's so interesting is one of the fastest growing subsets in American Christianity is a group called as the nuns. Now, not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. When they ask them, what church do you affiliate with? And they say, none. So they say that they're Christians, but their affiliation is none. That's the largest growing church in America, per se. Then that's not really probably the church, but it's this, they say, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but we don't belong to something greater. And these are people who describe themselves as being spiritual, but not affiliated really with a specific religious group. And we can understand that Jesus loves the church. Um, something that has been said in this series is we don't give up on the church because as we read the book of Revelation, Jesus hasn't given up on the church even in the very end. And so we're not going to either. In 1 Timothy, um, it's referred to that uh, Paul said, the church is the pillar and the ground of all faith. Jesus said, upon um, I will build my church. It's my church. He said, I will build upon the rock, which is my church. Uh, John Stott, who is uh, known as the pastors, the pastors, like a lot of us pastors who preach, reread his commentaries, and then we take from him, and we get to preach to other people. And uh, he passed away about 11 years ago, I think, and he said, God's purpose conceived in a past eternity, being worked out in history, and to be perfected in a future eternity is not just to save isolated individuals and so to perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church. That is to call out of the world a people for his own glory. And I love that. Like, yes, we want to see people get saved and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ but we want to see people doing that within the body. We want to see people doing that so it's not a single event, but it's a time of growth in their life. Um, The New Testament church was intensely relational. And and dear, I'll give you a heads up. There is a video that with audio coming here in a second. Um, There were people who truly lived life together. The idea of a Christian without a church would be like a soldier without an army. It would be like a, a football player without a team. Um, a business person without a business, or I've got a video of a tuba player playing it by themselves and check it out. All right, not a concert I wanna go to. Not a concert I wanna go to, but if you take those same tuba players and you have them play with an entire band, it can be one of the best experiences in college football. So let's check that out. All right, I'm sorry. I had to do it. We're only 13 days away from Ohio State playing Notre Dame. It's number two versus number five. But did you get that point, though? The four tuba players by themselves, like, I wouldn't go to that concert. A few people were, like, clapping politely. But when you got the entire band together, all of a sudden you hear 110,000 people cheering. For this moment that this silly dude, the tuba player, dots the I and gives a big bow and everyone just goes crazy. If you haven't noticed, we're very proud that we can spell our state. We just like to spell it all the time. You know, O-H. All right. Thanks, Gary. I was hoping he would help me out there. We like to spell our state and, uh, in all kinds of different ways. So that idea that it's so much more fun when we're getting a chance to do this together. Paul the Apostle, Galatians chapter 3. Before I really get into this text, I've had a lot of questions um, about last week's message. And it actually will give me a great transition. Last week, we were in um, Luke 4. There it is, Luke 4. And in Luke 4, we read that Jesus was in the temple. He read from Isaiah 61. And he said things like, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He reads this proclamation, he rolls it up, and he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And the question I've been asked this week was, why weren't they upset then? Like, they get upset here a little bit later, but why weren't they upset when he, like, basically read this prophetic statement of the coming of the Messiah, and he reads this passage, he scrolls it up, and says like that's happening today. This is happening in me. And really the response would be that they didn't completely understand that he was making this connection to himself. And it's been 400 years since the nation of Israel had heard a prophet speak. And I would be with the assumption, this is me kind of playing the chosen for a minute and seeing like, this could have been what was happening. And what could have been happening was they were thinking, wow, perhaps god is sending a prophet again to speak to the people declaring that god's promise is happening that god's promise is happening that god is going to begin to restore and this might help you understand why throughout jesus's entire ministry people had the hope that he was going to call the nation of israel back to prominence overthrow the roman empire and declare all the promises that god had for the nation of israel so when he says this, um, they didn't begin to get upset. They asked some questions. We get further down the text around verses uh, 25 and 26. And then he begins to refer to three promises that God gave and how they were poured out. And what he did was he shared about Naaman. He sh- uh, shared about the uh, Naaman the, the Syrian. He shared about uh, Zarephath and and how he came and received God's blessing. And the three examples that he gave were all of um, Gentiles. And so he made a connection that God's promises is going to be poured out on the Gentiles, not just on the Jews, but also on those who they considered to be a, a second class or even a second class breed, that they were a different group that we don't want to associate with. And that is when they threatened him, is when he took God's promise and says, God's promises are not going to be just for people who look like us. God's promises are not just going to be people who speak our languages, but God's goodness and promises are about to be poured out on all people of all backgrounds, of all cultures. And that's what they got so upset about. How dare he say that? How dare he proclaim that God's goodness, that God's promises— that we hold on to for ours, the Jewish nation, are going to be for all people. And what you see here in Revelation is God still trying to break through that same barrier that existed, that this was only for God's chosen people. And it's so easy for us, even in our culture, to allow things to separate us and break us. Um, into saying, well, this is for us and we're going to see here in Galatians three that that is what God is breaking out. Now Paul has been speaking thus far in Galatians on the entire premise of justification by faith, or how we can be right with God by just believing in Him, that all we need is Jesus. Justification by faith, by faith versus the law, um, and the law of Moses as given in the Old Testament. So he's writing this letter and he addressed that saved Jews and Gentiles. And so if you don't know, Jews were people that were ethnically born into a Jewish family and they were brought into the Jewish nation and they were part of the Jewish religious system, not through different entities, but that was all one entity in their understanding that there really was no separation between church and state, that it really was all one entity in itself. And so all of a sudden he begins to speak of this mix that has been brought together saying that all can belong to God's family. The Gentile was not a specific race or specific nation. It was all other nations besides the Jewish nation. And he's saying, no, they all can belong to God, and thus, they all belong to one another. Then you go back to Jesus' teachings of the Good Samaritan, the woman at the well, and you see that Jesus was ushering in this idea of reaching out to other cultures and people who look differently within the kingdom of God. So if you're taking notes in the bulletin or through the app, the first thing is going to be from verse 26. And it's that we belong or I belong because I believe. And that's the beginning is that we belong, that I belong because I believe. Verse 26, you are all sons of God through what? Through faith in Christ Jesus. That faith is the portal through which a relationship with God becomes a reality. That when we have faith in Jesus Christ, that we put our belief in Jesus Christ, that is when we begin to have a relationship with him. That is Um, the mega truth of this entire book of Galatians. If we just go back a little bit to chapter 2 in verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified or considered righteous um, or declared righteous or clean, that knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not based upon what we do, it's based upon what God has done through Jesus Christ, even as we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. It's impossible for us ever to be perfect according to the law. The law shows us our inability to ever be right with God. We are so thankful that Jesus didn't come to just continue the old covenant But the Bible teaches that he abolished the Old Covenant and brought in a New Testament and a New Covenant. And that's what we live in today. And that's why we do want to continue to look back at the Old Testament, but be careful when we do so. Because it does point to the promise of the Messiah. It does show how much we needed the Savior, but we are thankful that we do not have to follow every single law and the silly one i always share is um, i'm guessing my shirt is woven of two materials things like that that was in the law um that we would be having to follow today galatians chapter three so this is our same chapter but going back to verse two this i only want to learn from you did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or was it by hearing of faith are you so foolish having begun in the spirit and you being made perfect by the flesh. Same chapter, verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was a counter to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham in the scriptures foreseeing that god would justify the gentiles by faith so did you hear that that's a huge statement right there for us it's like you're just hearing this but understanding this context i'm trying to share with you they try to stone jesus back in luke 4 for saying things just like this that he is declaring that this has been brought not just to the jews but also to the Gentiles preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, and all in you, all the nations shall be blessed. So he's trying to point out to them. This is him kind of speaking theologically to them. You guys took this verse that in you, all nations shall be blessed as in your nation's going to be better, that your nation is going to be an economic blessing, that your nation is going to be a strength and stronger than all nations. And he's saying, no, you guys are missing it. That you guys were the conduit That God was bringing the blessings to the nations. That God's promise was that through you, the Messiah would come. Through you, God's grace would come. Through you, God's justification would come. But it wasn't going to be just for you. It was going to be opened up through you to all the nations. He goes in and says, So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And it's making the reference that even Abraham began with faith. And then as we go into the verses that Anthony brought us into, verse 24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. What we might be justified by faith, but after faith has come, we no longer uh, unto the tutor. In verse 26, because you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Bringing a lot back to the same premise. So faith, Believing is what gives us entrance into God's family, period. That there's nothing else to it. If you've probably heard me say in sermons, one of the things I've done my entire life is I actively enjoy having wonderful relationships that build the conversations uh, with people of Jehovah Witness, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, um, and uh, in Mormon backgrounds. And just trying to share with them these simple points, that all you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. That we don't need Jesus and all these other things in order to be made right with God. That all we need is Jesus. If we bring anything else to it, that's going to become work. I don't belong because I perform. I don't belong because I earn or give. I don't belong because I achieve something. I belong because I believe in Jesus, period. And everything else beyond that. Is the goodness and grace of God that we can continue to participate, continue to grow, continue to mature, be a part of the church, be a part of sharing God's goodness. Um, over the next few weeks, we're going to get into more details of what will it mean to be a part of the initial membership of Rock Harbor Church. But one thing that we've kind of decided this week is that it's not going to be called membership, but we're going to ask people to affirm and being ambassadors of Rock Harbor Church. That being a member of this church is not an inclusive club, but the reality that you are choosing to be a part of what God is doing here so that God can work out of this place into our community and to the ends of the earth. And so we understand that this is called the gospel. The gospel means good news. If you had to clean yourself up first and then come to church, guess what? that would be bad news because none of us are able to get ourselves clean enough to come be in church. And perhaps I share this too often, and Brad's laughing at me because he probably knows what I'm going to say. And that is that if that was true, then I don't think there'd be a Sunday that I deserve to preach. But I'm so glad that I can come here with the justification of Christ and understand that I am coming as a sinner in need of a Savior. So if anybody ever says, all you people in your church, you guys think you have it all figured out and you guys are all good and you're all righteous. Are you kidding? We're a house of sinners and we admit it openly. We'll go and tell everybody, hi, I'm Kevin, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. And that's how we greet people. Now let's maybe not do that. That might be a little unwelcoming, but that's truth too, that that's who we are. That if you want to be a part of what God is doing here, you've admitted that you're a sinner but we found our savior and we've been justified by grace and that someday we can stand before God, the father in heaven, not because of our works, but because of his goodness. You see the word faith that's in our text here. The word faith is not just a generic text. The word faith is pituo. Let me say, if I'm saying it right, I've got it phonetically spelled pistuo, pistuo. That's the Greek word that we have here. This Greek word does not mean acknowledgement in your head and that's how a lot of people will use it yeah i believe in god i believe in the big man upstairs i believe there's something that's not what this faith that paul is using in galatians mean this word pistuo, which means to commit to to rely on i've seen a lot of pastors give you illustration like where they they set a chair out a chair out And they say, like, if you understand faith, it's like, I know if I sit on this chair, it's going to hold my weight. And that's what faith means. I don't think that's what the faith means. I think what the faith word means in the Greek is that I am going to go 20,000 feet up in the air. And I'm going to let Jesus put a parachute on me because he says, I packed it and I tested it and you will make it to where I want you to be and you jump out of that airplane at 20,000 feet. If this chair breaks, I'm going to look foolish. If my parachute breaks, I'm going to die. And that's the faith that he's asking us to have, is to put on the parachute and jump out of the airplane and say, Jesus, I trust you with my entire life, and I'm going to follow you. I don't even know where you're going to drop me off. You might call me from here to there. I don't know where you're going to put me, but I have complete faith my life in you and where you tell me to go. And that's the faith that we're being called to here, to trust in, to adhere to, and to place your whole weight upon the faith in Jesus Christ. So believing is not just acknowledging God exists, but James says, for even the devil believes and they tremble. You see, the devil believes, he know, he acknowledges that there's a big man upstairs, but he doesn't put his full trust in God. So we can't just acknowledge him, but we have faith in him, a deep, deep faith in him. You know, people say to me all the time, oh, man, you church people, um, Jesus is just your crutch. I said, no, man, you got it all wrong. Jesus isn't my crutch. He's my stretcher bearer. Because if I could still walk on one leg with a crutch, I think I might try and go through life like that but I'm completely dead in my transgressions and only through Jesus Christ can he pick up me completely and carry me and restore me and bring me back health to where I need to go in every aspect of my life. You see, he's not my crutch, he's my everything. I completely lean on him. Um, Charles Blondin. Um, anybody know the name Charles Blondin? Like You can show the picture of him. Charles Blondin was a guy who uh, was known. There's only a couple pictures. There's a ton of drawings. It's that old in the mid-1800s where he would take a rope. I don't even know how he did it. He would put a rope all the way across Niagara Falls and go from um, the Canadian side to the American side. And I tried to use the actual pictures over the drawings, um, but the drawings show him he would take an entire like kitchen set and make omelets over a grill over a wire in the middle of the Niagara Falls. He would, like, get on top of a wheelbarrow, and on top of the wheelbarrow, go across the metal wire, and then on the way back, he would blindfold himself. Crazy, crazy, crazy. And people would say, how many people think I can do it again? Every hand goes up. And then he would ask the next question, who's willing to get in the barrel? You see, that's faith. That was faith. And there are drawings of a lady who said i'll get in the wheelbarrow and uh it wasn't like a barrel it was actually a wheelbarrow and he takes her across there's no picture of those drawings he takes a lady across because she had that much faith i've seen what he can do i've seen what he's done i've seen the truth that he stands on and i'm willing to put my life into that in the future and that's what we do with christ we look back at the Old Testament because we can continue to see who God is, the promises that God fulfills. We can sing songs that says that um, that he doesn't lose, that, that he always has victories. And we trust in that. That's why we do teach from the Old Testament. But then we look forward and say, but the promises that we have in Christ and who Christ is for me today, and that's the faith that we stand in today. Uh, Jude verse three says, contend earnestly, for the faith once for all delivered to the saints 2 corinthians thirteen five says examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith and test your felt test yourself there's one problem with a lot of our galatians 3 translations of verse 26 and if you look at it in the greek there is a definite article a definite article is very simple it's the word the the And most of our translations of verse 26 don't put that in there. But it's saying, you are all sons of God through the faith. And that Greek word that we see there for the faith, whenever the construction appears in the New Testament, it's referring to the historic Christian gospel. Not just this idea of faith, but this is a specific faith. Do you see the difference? It's not just a generic faith. It's the faith. It's the faith in Jesus Christ. And I had a chaplain who I worked for the hospital who said, yeah, there's there's one God, but there's many rivers to get there. She wasn't a Christian. She believed that you can believe what you believe and you can believe what I believe. And we all end up in the same place someday. If that was true, do you really think Jesus would have let himself be tortured and nailed to a cross? If there was any other way. Jesus went to the garden and prayed blood, was so anxious in the moment he was saying, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass me. But there was no other way. It's what the law required, and only Jesus could fulfill. First Timothy chapter 4 says, the Spirit expressly says, in the later times, some will depart from the faith, the true Christian faith, and give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, false teachings, false Bibles, false writings. So we belong to God and thus to God's family. We fully believe in faith and rely on Jesus as presented by the apostles in the New Testament. That's the meaning of this verse. You are all sons of God through the faith in Christ Jesus. When we believe, when we trust, when we rely on, when we place our weight on him. Uh, One of the songs I think our worship team is gonna bring here in the next uh, season is called, We Believe. And it goes through. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe, and it's kind of praying out the Apostles' Creed and so much of the doctrines of our faith. And because that's the church that we build on. That's the church on who we are. Uh, The next thing, if you're taking notes, I belong because I'm baptized. I belong because I'm baptized. Verse 27 says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. However, this verse is not just referring to water baptism. It's referring to a spirit baptism. It's speaking of being baptized or immersed or placed by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. What happens when you believe, you believe, and then the spirit comes, and then we receive that baptism. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, For by one spirit, We were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Now, water baptism illustrates, that's why we do it. Water baptism illustrates when the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the family of God. And that's the illustration that we look to. That this baptism by the Holy Spirit into Christ. And by the way, this distinction that we see here, as I've, if you, can tell I've studied a lot of religions as a chaplain. I've served alongside a lot of different religious leaders. The one of the unique things in Christ is nobody else makes references to putting on their beliefs, but we say that we are going to be put on Christ, that we are going to wear Christ. Um, I think Anthony's translation really said almost like we put the shirt on and we tell people what team we're on, that we are on team Jesus, that we wear him on the outside so that he can live with us on the inside. They don't talk about putting on Muhammad or Allah. They don't talk about putting on Buddha and becoming Buddha or becoming Confucius. No, it's all about your own individual journey. But in this, we recognize that the truth of believing in Jesus Christ, that we put on Christ when we are brought into the spirit of baptism and that God continues to work on us. 87 times in the New Testament, it says that we must be in Christ or in Jesus or in Christ Jesus, that we put on Jesus, that we don't just have this idea of rules and regulations to guide our life, but we actually strive to put on Jesus, to have the Holy Spirit live inside of us and work in and through us. We don't hear that from anyone else, that we actually share his life, that his life becomes active in us. Again, as verse 27 says, Paul equates the baptism into Christ with another metaphor of putting on Christ. These metaphors are brought together in this verse. As many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. They come hand in hand. It's part of what we do. And now I do have to, you know, share one thing. And that is what's being said here. This, this put on Christ, um, is a reference to what it meant to go from being a child to becoming mature. That a child, this word put on in the Greek is actually references to a time that a child would wear what was called the toga protexta. And it was the toga of a child, which meant that it had a border toga to it. But when a person would come of age and they were no longer a child, but they had become mature, that they had become a part of the family, that their last name meant that they were a part of the inheritance of what came with being a Roman citizen, what came with being chosen by your father and loved by your mother that in that moment that you would have a ceremony of coming to age and you would put on the toga virilis, and that you would actually now have the, the authority of a Roman citizen. And that's the little reference that says put on Christ is that ceremony that you went from just being an infant to now you are a citizen of our kingdom and you hold rights to what it means to be a Roman citizen or in this case, a follower of Jesus Christ. That when you have faith, that you receive the Holy Spirit. And that's why we believe that baptism, water baptism in our church is incredibly significant. And every time the Holy Spirit is present. But one distinction that we make from some other faiths is that we don't believe that baptism is that final step. That's called baptismal regeneration. That you are not saved until you are baptized through a water baptism. And there are people who teach that. Um, I know people in the Church of Christ, and that's not all Church of Christ, so that may be untrue from your perspective, but there are many Church of Christ that do believe that. Um, The Roman Catholic Church has much of that belief, and there's other uh, Anglicans that also hold on to that belief, but we don't believe that. The reason why is because we've already declared that we are saved by what? By faith. And if baptism becomes a part of that faith, then all of a sudden acts and works have become more important than the faith. And that's not what the Bible teaches. So we love baptism. We've had a great summer of baptism. Praise God for that. Numerous testimonies that God has uh, been a part of. But God doesn't take you at that moment and say, man, I love you even more now that you've been baptized. No, that's like telling a baby that you love them more when they begin to talk than you did on the day that they were born. No, we don't do that. In fact, for whatever reason, we want our kids to, we're so excited when they walk and when they talk, and the rest of the life we say, sit down and shut up. So, no, we love them on that first day more than we ever love them, more than we ever can love them the rest of their lives. And that's how God's love is justified in you. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Baptism proclaims salvation. It does not produce salvation. It's very, very different. It announces we're saved. It does not make us saved. Our saving grace comes through our belief in Jesus that we put on that parachute and we put our full weight and trust in him. Um, Third reason, if you're taking notes, I belong because we're blended. I probably worked too hard to find a B for this one. So let me explain it. I belong because we're blended. Verse 28, because you discover in this verse that the church, the church is a blended family. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ. All the barriers that typically divide, all the distinctions that normally would separate a Jew from a Gentile, all are completely obliterated in the church as we put on Christ. It's not that these distinctions don't exist. People are still ethnically Jew or Gentile, one race or the other. People are still male or female. People are still these things, but in the church, it should never matter. That in the church we are all part of one body, and we get a chance to be this amazing blended family of God. In antiquity, in ancient cultures, males had the privilege; male has males had the access; males could become kings; male could become priests; male Levites could serve in the tabernacle in the the temple. And women were less, and Gentiles were even less. Slaves, in many cases, were just completely excluded from even being. On the list, there's an ancient Jewish prayer that still exists in many Jewish temples today, and many men at this time would sing this frequently. And they would say in the Siddur of the Jewish faith, God, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That's a prayer that men would say every single morning, and some temples still say it today. We see in the Islam faith, the Muslim faith, the same practices still being done today. And Jesus Christ came to say, all that's been torn down. All that's been torn down. We're all part of a blended faith. If you think of it as going to a football game, it's like, well, the Jewish men, they could have like the front row seats behind the home team, you know, and then the Jewish priests, they could be on the sidelines. The Jewish women, they, they could be like, you know, in the in the very back of the front section, and then if you were a Gentile, you were like in the nosebleed seats all the way upstairs. And this is how the temple was, was kind of arranged. And if you are a slave, don't even come in the building. You're not even welcome in this place. And he's coming to say, that's all gone. That's all wrong. We are a blended family in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, there was a barrier wall called the wall of separation that existed in the temple. And it was between the court of the Gentiles and the inner temple where the Jewish people could be. The women would be in the back, the men could be in the front, and then the priest could go one step further. The high priest one day could go inside the holies of holies and would wear a bell around his waist because he would get struck down, I'm guessing, more often than not. And... That's how it used to be. And when that curtain was torn, it wasn't just that curtain from the holies of holies. He's saying, tear down all the walls. So I know a lot of Christians uh, look forward to the day of the temple being rebuilt. But in some ways, Jesus prophesied the temple was going to be torn down. He said, brick by brick, this temple would be torn down. And that's one of the reasons why people hated him. And his prophecy was fulfilled when the Romans burned the city of Jerusalem and the gold from the altar went into the bricks. And they had to take the pricks of art piece by piece to get the gold that melted in between them. You see, I believe the reason why God hasn't rebuilt his temple is because God said those temples have been torn down. Those walls have been torn down. The wall of separation is turned down. We don't need that anymore because we learned last week that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we are the body of Christ. It wasn't you, it was a we, we are the temple of God as God is working in us and God is working through us. Um, that God is bringing us all to him, all of us at the foot of the cross. God wasn't trying to come and change everyone's culture. He was coming to change everyone's hearts. I think about when Peter was given that vision, uh, Acts chapter 10, of um, all the meats being brought down on a blanket from the rooftop. He said, you can eat all these things. And Peter, being who Peter is, he of course says, yes, God, whatever you say, I will do. No, it's Peter. Peter said, no, God, I won't do it. I have never eaten from the pig and I never will eat from the pig. And God says, who do you think you are? I am God your Father, your Lord, and God, I am telling you, all that I have made is now for your goodness, now for your enjoyment. God wasn't trying to change Peter's diet. He was trying to change Peter's heart. That's why God's broken all these walls of separation. Let's enjoy that that blend. Let's build bridges in the name of Jesus Christ instead of walls in the name of Christianity. Let's be a place that brings people together. Some scholars believe that Paul the Apostle, when he wrote verse 28, was actually using fragments of a Christian hymn the way that it's presented in our text here. It would allude that he's actually quoting from a song. And perhaps the early church knew the songs that were being sung in the temples on the Sabbath. And as they gathered the next day, on the day that Jesus Christ was risen, they began to sing the song, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor male or female, All are welcome in the house and church of Jesus Christ. And I love that. I love that. And and finally, I belong because I believe. I belong because I'm baptized. I belong because I'm blended. I belong because I'm a beneficiary. In verse 29, it says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring or seed and heirs according to the promise. Let me close by sharing with you a story. And this is a story that is kind of a once upon a time story. And to see if I can paint this picture of this incredible vision that God gives us in Scripture. So imagine the scene right now. and Perhaps close your eyes and just try and kind of imagine this. Imagine the scene. You're in ancient Rome around the year 50 BC, 50 years before the time of Christ. And you live in Pompeii, just south of Rome. You are a Roman citizen with a beautiful wife named Camellia. You have been married about 10 years and have been trying to have children off and on as you come back from the different wars that you fought that you fight in. After some time, it has become clear that one of you is infertile and you are unable to have children on your own. And so you are afraid because if your family name is not continued, that if you don't have that pater familius, that you will not be cared for in the afterlife. So this precious Roman idea is not going to continue unless you have a son that bears your name. So you make the decision to adopt. So you look first of all at your own household, to the slaves who serve you. There you find a slave called um, M. Amelia Felix, we'll call him Felix, who has a wife and four children, three of them of which are boys. So you go to Felix and you ask him whether he would be prepared to sell one of his boys into adoption. Now, why would any mom and dad ever sell their child into adoption? But what may seem as an unloving act, you must understand, was the most loving thing they could do. They were being willing to give up their son so that he could become a free man and a Roman citizen the precarious and the oppressive life of slavery is over. Secondly, because it means that their son will inherit the paterfamilias of their master and in the process become heir to his entire estate. He will become the master's very own son and will inherit the master's entire estate. Thirdly, it means that all the adopted son's previous debts will be paid off or canceled upon joining this new family. What may seem like a heartless act to us, the sale of a son is therefore the act of kindness. So the whole process would begin. The adoption begins. You go with Felix and the boy to the local Roman magistrate. Proceedings known as the adoptu sensu strictu. Begin with all of you standing before the magistrate on three different days. I'm not making that up. I've done a lot of research on this actually. In three literal days, each day you would go in front of the magistrate, and he would ask the question to the father, are you willing to let your son be adopted by this Roman citizen? Each day, a portion of the debt was paid, and on the final day, all of it was paid off. At the third transaction, the magistrate makes the declaration, this boy is now your adopted son. The money passes hand from the adopting father to the natural father, and the boy is now legally heir, the new father's son and heir. He has been taken out from the previous state of slavery and placed in the new family. The boy now has the status of a free person. All previous debts are canceled, and the boy has a new family and a new future. You see, when Paul writes in Ephesians, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Paul only uses the adoption reference when writing to Roman citizens and Roman towns. See, the Hebrew adoption was very simple. If a kid needed a family, maybe his mom and dad passed away, the closest relative would adopt him. There was nothing to speak of. There was no adoption process. So when he talks the word adopted, it can only be referenced to this Roman adoption. So Paul's given us this great picture of what it means to be in the family of God. A father chooses to adopt. Abba Father, it says in Ephesians, chooses you. The adopted son is a slave. The Bible tells us that we were once slaves to sin. The adopting father pays the price. Our adoption has been paid by the blood of Christ on the cross. The adopted son is set free from slavery. At our adoption, we are given the glorious freedom through Jesus Christ, through our belief in him. The adopted son becomes heir to the new father. When we become children of God, we receive all of God's blessing and heirs to his kingdom. See, this is what it means, the good news. That God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That when we come under the authority of this new father, it's not something to be afraid of. But it's a gift that has been given to us. Maybe this morning you haven't understood what it means to be in the family of God today you want to be in the family of God to become his heir. Know that this opportunity is for you. Let's pray. Father, you have made it so easy for someone to belong. Yes, God, we may be different in, in gender or language or status or, or cultural differences. But that every one of us that carries Bondage of our past, that God, that we can be free in you. God, you dismantled the wall of separation. You have made us, there is no more a need for division. There is no more a need for separation. That we can simply believe, and when we believe that we have a relationship with you, because you did all the hard work so that we wouldn't have to do any, that God, that we can simply believe in you, and then we get to follow you in your goodness. God, if there's anyone here who wants to be a part of the family of God, they want to be in your presence. They want to be adopted by you. Not that they have to go and pay off their debts because they could never do that in in their entire life. But that Jesus, that you are willing to pay their debts. I pray in this moment that you cry out to Jesus. Just cry to him and say, dear Jesus, I admit to you that I have sinned. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. So I choose to commit my life to you because you've already given me yours. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand? We're gonna declare that he is our champion.